Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. How are you doing? How are you holding up? What's going on with you? Did you have a good Christmas? These are all questions I'd love to hear back from you on, and you can go out to our website, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Let me know. Go to our Facebook group. Post it there. You can join a group if you're not already in it. It's a private group that I maintain and it's at Hope for the Caregiver. It's Just look for groups, Hope for the Caregiver, and you can join and let me know. We're going to eventually get back to doing live shows where we can have call-ins, but it's been a bit difficult here because I've been in the hospital back and forth with Gracie so many times, and it's hard to run a live show while you're doing that. So, But I'm still in Denver, and I'm still doing this now, where she is recovering from her 86th surgery. It's a pretty big back surgery she had on November 30th. And here we are still with Christmas and with New Year's. By the way, are your Christmas decorations still up? If they are, uh, that that's the part of the Christmas event that I don't like is having to take down all the decorations. Some people leave them up till, you know, Easter. And, and there's an argument that you should leave them up through Epiphany. And I, I'm okay with that. Gracie actually likes to leave them up until the snow is gone. And in Montana, that means you leave them up till May. But I'm not going to worry about that this year. She's not real happy with me, but I'm going to get rid of all of the Christmas decorations and just throw them away. Now, why am I doing that? Well, I did it in the hospital room. And I went and got stuff from Walgreens and put up a little tree and some lights. We had our, we had the best decorated room for Christmas. A friend of mine let me borrow his keyboard and we played Christmas music, and I've been playing music for her throughout the time we've been here. And started off New Year's Day at the keyboard, uh, and I played for her. And she sang with me a little bit. Her voice is still a bit scratchy. But I led off New Year's morning with This Is The Day. And I don't have the caregiver keyboard here with me as I'm recording that. I'll have to put that in another time, I guess. But... I do a, I think I do a pretty good arrangement of that. I like it. I slowed it down a little bit, put some great chords with it. But we sing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I want that to set the tone for everything we do for this year and beyond to recognize we're going to deal with today. Uh, Gracie is recovering. It's slow. She has a long journey ahead of her. And... 86 surgeries, describe it, is just brutal. But she is tougher than a Waffle House steak, and I expect her to have a much better year this year than she did last year. And what happened was the fusion in her back from two years ago did not quite solidify, and then she started to develop a joint that was starting to crumble at the top where they had put the hardware in and so they had to go and put a little bit more and tilt her back a little bit more and then do some more stuff to help this fusion and we're hoping that it will the doctor feels pretty good about the surgery everything is in place that she will be straighter and she will recover better she she has not had a post-op infection which is the first time ever of a back surgery with her which is good they've taken a lot of precautions she's in very good hands but there's still been a few bumps along the road and, you know, you deal with the odd communication issues and so forth. But she's had a lot of nurses, a lot of doctors during the hospital time. There's a lot of residents that come in. There are people that want to come in and do a casual drive-by 
you can't do a drive-by diagnosis with Gracie. That's a phrase that Rush Limbaugh used to use about the media. They would just drive by and stick their head out the window and offer their um, pithy insights to something they really didn't explore. And that's pretty much what goes on in the media anyway. Um, But in our case, you've got to spend some time with Gracie to understand just the breadth of what she's had to deal with. you got to remember, she was hurt in 1983. And medicine's changed a lot. And most of the people that have been treating her were not even born when she was hurt. I mean, that, that gives you some perspective right there. And, and I've learned a few more things as a caregiver through this process, and I'm going to share those with you as the show unfolds. One of the things I learned is that I was tired, and I started getting sick when I left South Carolina. We went down to be with my folks for Thanksgiving. The day we left, I started sneezing, and by the time we got to Denver that night, I was starting to feel kind of ugh. We checked her into the hospital the next day, and we're, I'm staying across the street in a hotel. And once she was in the hospital, that was about all I could do. I did not realize how tired I was, and I don't mind telling you all this. I think it's important that we as caregivers admit the obvious. That's part of our journey as caregivers is to deal with reality, not what we'd like it to be. And her surgeon and her surgeon's PA, the team, looked at me, and they said, look, you got her here. That was your job. We'll do ours. We've got her. You go rest. And so, you know what? I did. And there were a couple of days I stayed in bed all day. I was I was really that sick. Uh, just, I don't know if I got the flu or whatever. Gracie had had something like this, you know, several weeks prior. Maybe I got it from her. Everybody seems to be getting sick. It wasn't COVID. I got tested. I think I was just tired. You know, this is her fifth surgery in two and a half years that we've been through. And, and they've been very intense surgeries. And that's on a long line of surgeries. And I, I'm pretty good at what I do, and, and I have a lot of experience at this sort of thing, but I was tired. I basically held Gracie together with duct tape and bailing twine to get her here because we kept getting delayed. She was supposed to really have this surgery over a year ago, and it's just been a very difficult process. And, and there was, quite frankly, nothing left of me. And so for the first couple of weeks of this, I rested and I trusted her team. She has a good team. She was in ICU for about, I don't know, a week or 10 days. And then they moved her to a regular room, but this is the neuro room. So all these people, a floor, so all these people are involved are neuro trained and she's in good hands. They know her, the same physical therapist that worked with her two years ago. Same group of people, so they know her by now, and I was able to rest, and I did. I, You know, I can't help but think about those guys that tore up the roof to lower that fellow down to Jesus. You remember that story? Scripture never states what happened to those guys and how Jesus even interacted with them. But it would not be out of character for Christ to communicate to those guys what Gracie Surgeon communicated to me. Hey, you did your job. You got her here. We've got her. You go rest. And I can't help but think that somehow Jesus communicated that to those men who tore up that roof. And in The Chosen, they actually make a little bit of a nod to that. 
Obviously, somebody else has been asking the same question because the Ethiopian woman who they portrayed as the friend of the paralytic who got him there, Jesus looked up through that torn up roof and looked at her and just nodded. The character, the guy playing Jesus, not Jesus, I want to be careful on that. I don't want people to get all upset with me. But I, I really resonate with that. Maybe you do too. There's a point when we've done all we can do. And if Gracie's surgeon can look at me and say, you did your job, you got her here. If his PA can look at me and say, you did your job, you got her here. Now you go rest. We've got her. Imagine what the King of Kings says to you as a caregiver. As you care for your loved one, when you've done all you can do, you stand, Scripture says, and you rest. Are you resting today? Not maybe sleeping. That's different. I'm talking about resting, knowing that you're taking God at his word. If you believe God at his word, not believe in God, believe him. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It pleases God when we have faith, when we take him at his word. Like the old hymn, just to take him at his word. Let's take him at his word. Let's believe him. What do you say? This is the lesson I'm learning while going through this latest medical event with Gracie. I'm going to take him at his word. And that is hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. You know, folks, without George Washington, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Hello, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. George Washington, otherwise known as General Washington during the Revolutionary War, the War for Independence, later to become President Washington, our first president of the United States, and the father of our country, George Washington. We're going to see his home in June and September on our spiritual heritage tours. Mount Vernon will be one of our stops on our tour. So if you want to go with us to D.C. and see all the sites of our nation's capital, also our trip to Colonial Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown, if you want to go with us, go to the website spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com. The itinerary, the cost, Everything is there for you to check it out and join us on one of our 2024 tours. The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. HopefortheCaregiver.com. I want to pivot just a, a bit here to tell you about an incident that happened here just last week. Okay, and I'm going to try to be delicate here, all right? So y'all just be family. Gracie was in the hospital, and I get a text from her. I was on the way over there, but I hadn't quite gotten there yet. And she said that some lady came into the hospital room, and she was evidently some type of case manager and wanted to know when Gracie was leaving. Well, Gracie is struggling to recover from this very, very serious surgery. And this lady kind of brought up things about the hospital won't get paid if she's here and doesn't have a valid reason for being here and yada, yada, yada. Those of you in this world know this. So if you're listening to this audience with any kind of regularity, you understand that principle. And this is not the first time that's ever happened. And I know she's just doing her job, but... Gracie was not in the best situation to have that conversation with her. She had just woken up. And on a side note, a lot of people come into the room when you're in a hospital, and they don't always identify themselves. They just kind of show up, and they start talking about very personal matters, but they haven't identified who they are, who they represent, what what's going on. I mean, it could be a resident from so-and-so. It could be who knows, you know, so... For those of you in the medical world that are listening to this, that work at a hospital and so forth, please remember to introduce yourself when you walk into a room because your name tag is often twisted and turned, and I, I don't know what it says. Gracie can't read it from her hospital bed. So I, we can't be the only people out there having that kind of issue. So please identify yourself. But anyway, this woman came. She left. Gracie made her leave her card. That's something we worked out a long time ago. When you've had 86 surgeries, you've, you've had this discussion. And I called and left a message. And just as I was doing that, I went down the hall and I saw a lady walking towards me. And I could just tell by what she was wearing because she wasn't wearing a nurse's uniform. She had a badge, but you could tell. I, I've gotten used to case managers. I can kind of tell them. And I noticed her name on there and I asked if I could speak with her for a few moments. And I introduced myself and I reference the conversation she had with Gracie about whether or not payment would be made. And you could tell she was quickly backing up. You know, you ever had that sense with somebody when you confront them politely, but you're confronting them and you're looking at them in the eye and then they are talking really fast and trying to get out of a situation. And she started talking really fast and trying to overpower me with verbiage and mentioned that, well, when we see certain things, we have to ask questions of why is the patient still here? And I said, a better question for you to ask would be, why did she have to come back? And a second question to ask would be, what do we need to do to make sure she doesn't have to come back? And that caught her short. And then we started having a little bit of conversation about Gracie's history, what brought her here, what we're trying to accomplish, what's going on. And she was like, look, we're really good. We're good. We're good. We're good. It's good. You know, and she was very, very eager to get out of the conversation. I won't say that I enjoyed watching her discomfort, but I won't say that I did. And I'll just leave it at that. I've done this so many times and I've done this with so many people. And so I repeated very slowly the parameters of the conversation and came to a 
complete consensus and agreement with her, and we were good. For caregivers, we can find ourselves in the unenjoyable role of being the confrontational advocate, and we're going to have to do that on many occasions. All right? We're just going to have to. I had to confront one of the residents through this process who made a flippant remark to me, and I looked at her and I said, no, not going to take that. Her flippancy, not glibness, but she was just really, again, that drive-by diagnosis when they roll down the window and they look out the window and said, oh, this is what's going on. I mean, you see that in the media all the time. It's not like we have real journalism anymore. And they just say it, they get it wrong, but they don't care they're driving by. This was the same kind of thing, a drive-by diagnosis. And she made this flippant remark, and I confronted her on it. And she wanted to push back, and I looked at her, and I said, Ma'am, I was caring for her before you were born. And that's all I had to say. And she backed up. I don't relish these things. This is not something I just love to be able to do. But I have found in this four-decade journey that, that this is the role I have to play sometimes. And so I've learned that I don't have to be, you know, mean at it. Say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. Okay, write that down. Say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. I'm not here to elevate myself over any of these professionals. I've been extremely pleased with the care that Gracie has received it's a teaching hospital. They really know their stuff. But getting to know Gracie, the learning curve is very steep when you have somebody with her history that is presenting here. And they, they've never seen anybody like her. You know, and I watched the humility and respect that her neurosurgeon showed and, and his team. And, and this guy is really, really an astounding surgeon. And he didn't feel the need to be that way but was very gracious, very, he took his time, he really spent the time to, to understand as much as he could of her journey, and he didn't do any kind of drive-by diagnosis. Well, if, if he could be this way, why can't a, a young resident do that, or a case manager, so forth? And, and the answer is they can, but they've not chosen to, for whatever reason, with different patients until they come up along something like this situation with Gracie, and it's my responsibility as her caregiver to help advocate for her without interfering, without being offensive so that I create a defensive situation with her team. And that's a little bit of a trick. And part of that trick is learning to ask better questions. Okay. And that's the journey for us as, as family caregivers. Sometimes we have to ask better questions. For example, when somebody says, well, why do you think this is all happening with Gracie? Well, that's not a very good question. She had a car accident 40 years ago. It was a horrific, catastrophic car accident. I know exactly why this is happening. Her body was mangled and broken. That's not the question people want to know, though, when they ask, well, why do you suppose this is happening? What they really want to know is, where's God in this? Why hasn't God done anything? What's kept God from healing Gracie? Or why has God allowed her to live with such horrific pain? What has brought her to this point? 
Those are questions people have, but they use different words and obfuscate what's really going on. And so I think for us as caregivers, we have the responsibility to plumb those things. And one of the reasons you're listening to this program right now is because you're giving me the benefit of the doubt of having spent some time looking at this mountain of the issues of really delving deep into what are these issues. And you're putting a level of trust into me as somebody who has done this for nearly 40 years that I have spent some time with these issues in the context of Scripture particularly and come to a measure of understanding and insight that will benefit you in your circumstances. And one of those insights continue to be that we have to learn to ask better questions. Like I asked that case manager. She said, well, I, I see certain markers. I said, why is this patient still here? And I looked at her and said, why don't you ask why she came back? It's the same thing with managing Gracie's considerable pain. One of the questions I ask her pain team, what's the goal? Now, the goal is not to get Gracie out of pain. That's too glib. Can she get out of pain? Can you, can you write something to help her get out of pain? Can you do this? That's not the right question. Gracie's body is too broken for that to be a realistic goal. For example, Gracie, to be out of pain, would have to be so sedated or drugged up or numb that she couldn't function. So the question really is, how do we better help Gracie carry this pain? Now, Gracie can't always be in the position to ask that question. She's too busy fighting with the pain. So it falls on me as her caregiver to have clarity of thought and conciseness to what is really going on. There's an old saying in the army that sometimes the guy that remembers where the Jeep is parked is the leader. Now think about that for a moment. We may have a lot of very well-trained people around us, but as caregivers, it's our responsibility to know where the Jeep is parked. This is not my first week in being Gracie's caregiver. This is, I'm, I'm closing in on my, the end of my fourth decade. So I have a responsibility to know where the Jeep is parked. I have a responsibility to know what the main goal is. And I think scripture gives some great clarity in this issue when it says, bear one another's burdens. Paul wrote that in Galatians 6, 2 through 5. If you notice, he's not saying solve one another's burdens, alleviate one another's burdens, take away one another's burdens. We bear it. Recognizing that some burdens are not going to leave in this life. But how do we help one another carry those very difficult burdens? And that's our role as caregivers. And it's our role as caregivers in a medical situation to help our loved one's team understand some of those things, those dynamics. But going beyond the medical, it's our responsibility to help fellow believers bear the burdens they have by adequately equipping them with the gospel to understand the teachings of Scripture as applicable to their circumstances. So that when I talk to Gracie, I'm not just talking to her to help with all of her pain management and all her team and all that stuff, but also to give her the things of God that equip her 
to carry the terrible burden that she has to carry. And I've learned over these many years that part of that is learning to ask better questions so that we get down to the root issue with clarity and conciseness and speak hope, encouragement, strength, perseverance, endurance, and wisdom into these situations that can be very fluid and very challenging. So think about what kind of questions you can ask in your circumstances, what better questions you can help introduce to help move this thing along for your loved one and for you. And we'll talk some more about that at other times. This is Peter Rosenberger. We got more to go. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. to be like the 10 that said it can't be done it's too big the giants are too big we need to be like joshua and caleb and say you know what there are giants this is a massive problem when you have a, a nation that is ignorant of the of the principles that produce a free society start where you can it's, it's the only way i know it's a little bit at a time join walker wildman and rick green as they tackle today's issues from a biblical and a constitutional perspective at the core 1 p.m central weekdays on afr are you being honest and dependable in your personal money matters? Honesty is one of the first things Jesus requires of new believers. When some tax collectors approached Jesus to be baptized, they asked, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. You need to be honest to be effective for God's kingdom work. Tune in to Faith and Finance with Rob West. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Central on American Family Radio. Are you surprised that your compliant child has grown up to be a rebellious teenager? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When talking with out-of-control teens who are raised in a Christian home, I often hear them say this, my parents expect way too much of me. Parenting with over-the-top expectations only results in completely deflated teens. They can't do it. I'd like to challenge you to stop and think. Are your expectations for your child too high? Is loving an A student easier than loving a C student? What would it look like for your teen to perform at your high levels? Check your motives and see if you're giving your child a reason to rebel. There's always time to change and rebuild the relationship. Want to bring Mark to your church or community? Find out how to request an event in your area when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org. Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. That's the Imperials, by the way. And I want to reference another quartet, particularly one man, Joe Bonsell of the Oak Ridge Boys, who announced earlier this week that he was retiring from touring. He has a neuromuscular thing that they have struggled to identify and it's really caused a lot of problems he's not in pain but he can't walk he can't his legs are not working properly and he and i've talked about this and he's been on this program a couple of times a wonderful man he spent 50 years with the oak ridge boys i mean you think about that that's a career i mean the the things that he has seen and done and and i he and i talked about 
when he was singing at President George H.W. Bush's funeral um, several years ago. And you think about all the things that the Oak Ridge Boys have participated in for lo these many years. That, that group was started, from what I understand, now you correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, the Oak Ridge Boys, before Joe got there, the quartet itself went up to the Oak Ridge facility where they did the uh, uranium or whatever the nuclear material was that they were doing, and they were very sequestered. So people would travel to them. They would bring in certain groups and acts and so forth for these families that were sequestered in this very top secret thing, and they became known as the Oak Ridge Boys, uh, a gospel quartet. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the history of it. And over the years, they 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 never left their gospel roots, but they expanded into stuff. A lot of pop stuff they did. Bonnie, Sue, Bobby Sue. Sorry, one of our dear friends is Bonnie Sue, and I would always go Bonnie Sue to her, and uh, of course Elvira and other things. But you ought to hear their harmonies when they do the old hymns, and they are just marvelous. And Joe. Well, he's he said he he just can't do it anymore, and it's time to leave. Uh, leaves an, an amazing legacy with these guys, and I, I imagine he's going to be doing a lot of different things. He has a lot of ambitions. He's a wonderful writer, and um, he's going to continue singing. It's a part of who he is. He's got an amazing story with his family. If you get a chance, uh, the book G.I. Joe and Lily. It's about his parents. His father was wounded on Utah Beach. Uh, severely wounded uh, during World War II, and uh, Joe's very candid about the journey that he and his sister and his mother had in, in the relationship with his father, who was had, had a lot of challenges. Keep them in your prayers. They're, they're a wonderful family. Love the Lord, and just a wonderful family. And and I, um, I hope to have him back on when things settle down a little bit. We'll have him back on and let him share some more. Maybe Mary can join him as well. So anyway, I, I wanted to take a moment to publicly acknowledge Joe and thank him for being a friend to me, and he's been a, a source of wisdom that I've been privileged to be able to call and ask him his thoughts on things, and uh, so uh, wonderful man, Joe Bonsall of the Oak Ridge Boys, and we wish him all the best. Let me pivot a little bit. We're starting the new year, and you you course here, everybody with the New Year's resolutions, and everybody joins the gym and all that kind of stuff. But I do this at the beginning of the year for myself and my fellow caregivers. And I want to challenge you on something, not to make a New Year's resolution, because I, I think that's a little, I don't know, not to do that. What I do is I determine every year that I'm going to push myself to learn something, to study something, to, to enhance my life through education. And for the last several years, I've been doing just that. Last year, for example, I... Um, in addition to other things I do, I took a 30-part class on the uh, on C.S. Lewis and Christianity at Hillsdale College, and I did it online. It's an audio lecture. I mean, you could watch it. There's video, but it's audio that you can listen to. I can't sit down and read and study like I used to. I mean, I have a lot of chores I have to do as Gracie's caregiver and running a company and all the things that I do. If I sit down and read something, for example... There's always the chores, the laundry and everything else that needs to be done when I'm done reading, and that kind of weighs on me. So what I do is I just listen to things. I listen to audiobooks. I listen to sermons. I listen to teachings. 
while I'm doing the dishes and so forth. You know, I've always kind of felt a little bit, I don't know, like I was coming up short because I hear all these other people say, you know, in my quiet time this morning, in my quiet time. And I thought, well, that must be nice, but I don't have that lifestyle. Maybe a lot of you don't have that kind of lifestyle. I don't know. But for me, sitting down, if I sit down, I fall asleep. <laughs> but I, I, I like to listen to things, podcasts, sermons, and so forth. And I took this class at Hillsdale. It's free. It's a free class on C.S. Lewis because I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. And I wanted to learn more about it, his journey into Christianity. And you, there's five modules. Each module had six uh, courses, I mean, or six lectures. And then you have to take a test at the end of each module. And then you take a test at the end of the course. I passed. I got a certificate, the whole thing. And I enjoyed it immensely. I actually started it in the fall of 2022. And I was on our side yard where we have a septic tank, but my father-in-law could not remember where he installed this in this little cabin that he renovated many, many years ago on the property where Gracie and I live. And so he and I were out there trying to find this thing and I was determined I was going to find it because nobody knew when this thing had been emptied. He couldn't remember and so forth. And this was very important to me. Why is that important? Because you do not want to have a septic tank emergency in February in Montana when it's 20 below and there's a foot of snow out there. Okay, so I was really motivated to find this septic tank, and he uh, was out there trying to figure out where it was, and I, I was digging, and finally I found the surface, and I, I uncovered the entire thing. I mean, I didn't dig it all out. I just uncovered the top of it, but I was determined I was going to make a path to this thing so that we could do it. We got it empty, but while I was digging it, I was listening to this class on C.S. Lewis, and I called up a buddy of mine, and I said, I think I hold the record for the only person who's ever dug up a septic tank while listening to a class on C.S. Lewis and Christianity from Hillsdale. So I hold that record. Why am I telling you all this? The class at Hillsdale was not a caregiving class, okay? It was about C.S. Lewis. But I improved myself. I learned something. I got something out of it that nobody can ever take away from me. I got something out of that. I got education, and I learned about uh, one of the most important figures in Christianity in the last, well, one of the most important figures in Christianity. Uh, this guy's a giant, and, and I learned about him, and I'm better for doing it. Now, it doesn't necessarily change the way I work as a caregiver or do anything else, but it's improving me. And that's what I want to challenge each of you on. What can you do? I've, I've been going to Ligonier Ministries, and I've listened to almost 150 sermons and teachings from R.C. Sproul and others, and you, I, I, I pay a little bit of money for that. It's not very much. You could do a, a pretty reasonable thing here, but I do it because I want to improve my understanding of scripture i want to improve my understanding of the things of god and i want to improve myself and my my ability to process thoughts and everything else i this is what i do and i listen to these things while i'm out mowing for example i'll take headphones not the little earbuds because the mower's too loud but i'll take headphones connect them to my phone stick a phone in my shirt pocket and i'll sit there and listen to all kinds of things of teachings while i'm doing this and it gives me something to think about. It it, it pushes me. 
this is what I do for me as a caregiver. I find things that I can learn and grow in. Doesn't always have to be theology. Doesn't always have to be about, you know, C.S. Lewis or anything else. What is something that you could take on this year that you can learn and improve your skills at, your understanding of, your, your education, whatever? Do you want to know more about gardening? Graham Kerr, who used to be known as the Galloping Gourmet, has been on this program, friend of the family. He's got a whole series on Amazon he did years ago that you can go out and download, I think, for free with Amazon Prime. And it's all about being a healthier cook. His wife had some severe health issues. He took care of her for a long time. And he blamed himself for a lot of those because of the way he used to cook back when he was known as a galloping gourmet. He was very hedonistic, a lot of fat and so forth. And he blamed himself for that. And so he threw himself into the task of learning how to make things with great flavor that are easy to prepare but are heart healthy and so forth. There's a whole series of these things. If you want to be a better cook, which I do, I like to cook, and I want to be good at it, we live in a time in human history where if you want to learn something, it's available to you. Virtually every school out there offers some type of free class online. I think MIT offers that. Harvard, but I don't know about you know Harvard right now. They're a little weird. But if you want to learn something, it's available to you. And we do not give ourselves an excuse as caregivers to stop learning. We can do this. We can listen to audio stuff. We can listen to all kinds of things and never miss a beat. I will. I iron. I have friends of mine who make fun of me for that. But iron is very therapeutic and cathartic. And I, I iron and I listen to things while I iron. It doesn't matter what you want to learn. Learn it. Just challenge yourself to learn something this year that you can look back on and say, you know what? I learned something. And I I learned a skill. I learned about a subject. I learned how to do something better. If you want to learn how to play the piano, there are ways you can do that online. There are so many things available to us as caregivers. And I think it's incredibly important to us for our emotional and spiritual health that we push ourselves to learn that we never stop learning and growing as individuals. And we do not put off just because we are tasked and taxed, if you will, with uh, the caregiving responsibilities. Yes, I know they're severe. I get that. I, I am living proof of that. However, this is, I think, an appropriate challenge for us to take up every year, push ourselves to learn something. Maybe computer skills as you're managing budgets maybe learn financial skills and so forth i'm looking at going online and taking a class on accounting just to be better at it i'm not very good at it and i have to lean on people you pay for what you don't know by the way so there's all kinds of things would you join with me and identify something in your life that you could grow as an individual and take it on and educate yourself. And maybe at the end of the year, we'll talk about what we've done this year, okay? How about that? This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. we got more to go. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
I'll never forget walking into the hospital room after Gracie had her second amputation. Both legs are gone now. And she looked at me. She said, I know what I'm going to do. And I was kind of startled. I said, well, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to help provide prosthetic limbs to my fellow amputees and tell them about Jesus. And I said, well, baby, can we get out of the hospital first? But she never let it go. And for almost 20 years, we've been working out of Ghana, West Africa. We treat patients all over there from other countries that come there. We send supplies. We send teams. We sponsor patients. We work with a prison where inmates volunteer to disassemble used prosthetic limbs so we can recycle the parts. All of this because Gracie trusted God with her heartache. We've got a huge shipment of supplies that is being loaded up right now to go out soon. Would you help us do it? Stadingwithhope.com slash giving. Stadingwithhope.com slash giving. There's prosthetic feet, knees, pylons, sleeves, adapters, all kinds of connectors. All of these things we are sending over there so that people can walk. We're going to point them to Christ. Help us out. Stadingwithhope.com slash giving. Hey, friends, it's Jessica Peck, Dr. Nurse Mama, as your one-minute parenting coach. Do you feel pressure in today's world to be a perfect parent? We feel like if we don't have our kids in the honors program or in select sports or wearing the latest fashions, we are somehow failing them. The truth is, our kids don't want perfect parents, even if that were possible. They want present parents. Are you physically in your child's presence every day? And when you are, are you emotionally present? Are you living in the moment? Are you making eye contact for 20 seconds or more? Are you listening with your whole face and attention? When you feel badly about your child not having something, remember that truly the thing they want most is you. I'll see you on the Dr. Nurse Mama radio show on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Glad to have you with us this morning. By the way, if my voice sounds a bit different, I apologize for that. I'm doing this program from a hotel room across the street from the hospital. And it's a less than acoustically desired environment. How about that? So, and also, I've had a terrible cold. I hadn't been able to get rid of this cough. I'm, let me tell you something. When you cough in a hospital repeatedly, you get looks. I mean, you really do. So, I've, I actually went and saw a doctor, and I was asking, you know, what, what is, I mean, I put off going to a doctor because what are they going to do for a cold? I mean, it's not COVID. I got tested. It's not COVID. And even then, what are you going to do for that? And we talked about different cough medicines, and he said, but, you know, the, still the best thing is, hot water and tea and honey. So there you go. It's always the things that you did when your mom took care of you when you're little and it's the same old stuff. So I am taking some things, but mostly I'm just trying to nurse myself back with hot tea and lemon and honey. And hopefully we'll get through this. I, you know, I'm used to living in Montana now where the air is rather clean where we live. And I'm here in a hospital in a major city Air's not too clean. And then the the, the, the apartment complex, this, they were building this thing. It's this huge apartment. It takes up about a whole block. 
And I walked out of the hospital one day and the whole thing's on fire. They were almost finished with it. They've been working on it for several years. We've been watching it go up as we come to Denver for these particular visits with Gracie. And I walk out and this whole thing is ablaze. So you got, I mean, it was really tragic right before Christmas. I mean, there were so many fire trucks and it's still, it's going to be a mess. They're going to have to just raise it all down to the ground. And um, that's raised with a Z not raise it down with R-A-I-S-E, just let you know, I knew that. So you got ashes and soot and everything else, and so it's wonder everybody's not sick down here, and I think a lot of people are. So I'm, I'm working on the voice. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks you'll see an improvement, and then hopefully we'll be back home and I can do this better in the studio there in our home. And the audio quality will return to the exceptional audio that you have become accustomed to hearing. That is my my hope anyway. So I, as we start this new year again, I want to reference, today is January 6th. Um, I'm not going to go there with what everybody else says January 6th is. It just happens to be January 6th. I'm not going to delve into the political implications of that date. It just happens to be January 6th. Those of you who are listening on the podcast later can take down your January 6th decorations and we'll move on. But in the sixth chapter of my book, A Minute for Caregivers, when every day feels like Monday, I have this particular chapter, and these, again, one-minute chapters, and I wanted to take a moment. Some of you may have heard this, but it bears repeating. Before, and I may paraphrase some of this, before the famous altercation with Goliath, David expressed anger at the blasphemous giant. One of his brothers was embarrassed by this. And he was, they were at the uh, camp out there. And I still don't understand how this all happened. If you indulge me for an aside, that they're all camped around. And this guy comes out every day and just starts screaming obscenities at Israel. And these guys are all camped around. What do they do? Are they, are they just looking at each other? And then here comes David, this young kid. He was bringing something from his father to his brothers on the battlefield. And David just was incensed about Goliath's blasphemy. And he made a big production about it. And his brother got very angry with him. His older brothers, you know, I can imagine... I am an older brother, and I have older brothers, and I know how brothers talk, and I would imagine there was, uh, I don't know what the Hebrew word for shut up was, but I would imagine it was used at that point. But King Saul heard about this, and then King Saul allowed David to fight this guy. And I'm thinking, wow, no wonder King, I mean, have you ever thought about just playing that out that he he said, okay, you can go out and fight him. They're all sitting around too afraid to fight this guy. He's going to send a kid out there. And then he puts his armor on David and it doesn't fit. And David's like, I'm not wearing this. He can't even hardly move in it because David was small. King Tall was, uh, King, King Tall, King Saul was tall. You try saying King Saul was tall. King Tall was Saul. <laughs> but he would, he, he put all this stuff on him and David said, die, take it off. So he's going to go out there and then David said, I'm going to go out there and fight this enemy the way I have protected the sheep. I've chased off wolves. I've fought lions and probably a bear or so. I, you know, when David said, I'm going to do it my, my normal way and I'm going to trust in the Lord. And in this chapter from my book, I wrote, How many try to conquer a Goliath while wearing something that doesn't fit? 
The conditions of our loved ones serve as formidable giants to us, and we can't fight them while trying to be, do, and act like something that doesn't fit us. When I go over there to the hospital, when I deal with all these things with Gracie, I'm not a doctor. I have told people I'm board certified in cranial proctology, but I'm not a trained medical professional. I'll let you figure out what that is. I'm not a doctor, and I don't have to be. I don't have to be. My father went through this with my mother when she had an um, episode with her heart, and she was very, very sick, and Dad was struggling to, to keep up with everything. And I looked at him, and I said, Dad, you didn't go to medical school. You went to divinity school. Do something divine. <laughs> and you know what he did? He got his Bible out and went back to his Bible because that's who he is, is a man of God, a man called to the ministry, and that's where his strength and his power and his source lie. He's not trained to be a medical doctor. He doesn't have to be. I'm not trained to be one. I'm a trained pianist. So you know what I did? I brought a keyboard into Gracie's hospital room, and I played for her because that's what I do. David faced Goliath with his familiar sling and his even more familiar trust in God's abilities. While not a trained soldier, David's love and trust provided the courage to face a giant. Most of us aren't trained medical professionals as caregivers, and we don't have to be. When facing our giants, we can be ourselves and, with love and trust, remain confident the battle is the Lord's. And I love that scripture from 1 Samuel seventeen forty-seven, where it says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. That's incredibly comforting to me as a caregiver to know that the battle is the Lord's. I am not here to fix what has happened to Gracie. I cannot do that. I think for most of us as caregivers, the hardest things we face are the things that we have no control over. If we have control over it, then it's not that hard. But we don't have control over this. And we're forced to admit that. We're forced to deal with it. But that's not a bad thing. David knew that he couldn't fight Goliath conventionally, but he didn't have to, nor do we. And so as we begin this year, and I know that the calendar is just a subjective measuring device. I mean, even the date's not even right. We're off by who knows how many years and days. But And to caregivers, you know, does, does January 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th really matter? I mean, it's, it's the same thing set of task for us. But let's just take a moment to acknowledge that, okay, most of us wire ourselves that every first of the year, it's a new year, we're going to start off something different. Well, let's, let's start off with this. Like I said in the last block, we're going to educate ourselves. We're going to learn something. We're going to push ourselves to be more equipped to do something. Doesn't matter what. Just better at it. And then we're going to trust in the Lord to fight this battle, not ourselves. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by sword. It's not by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Your loved one and my loved one belong to God. It is way past us. We are stewards we are not responsible for fixing this. We are responsible for caring for them to the best of our abilities. And part of that means that we take care of the 
primary resource that they have on this earth, which is us. I am no good to Gracie if I'm fat, broken, miserable. You've heard me say this many times. And you're not good to your loved one if you're fat, broken, miserable. So you have a stewardship responsibility to not be fat, broken, miserable. And we go back to scripture to anchor ourselves in these truths to realize there's more going on here. The battle is the Lord's. It's a tremendous statement of faith that David makes when he says that. Very much akin to what Abraham did back in Genesis 15 when he says, when it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He took God at his word. David is taking God at his word as he steps out on the battlefield. The battle is the Lord. He's taking him at his word. Without faith, it's impossible to what? To please God. So every time you walk in that faith, you're pleasing God. It pleases God for you to take him at his word, for you to believe him. There are a lot of people that, you know, say, I believe in God. But that's not what he's talking about. James says that. He said, well, congratulations. You, you could be a demon now because even the demons believe. But to take God at his word, that the battle is the Lord's. So as we start this new year, as we launch into whatever we've got going on, remember that. You don't have to wear somebody else's armor. You don't have to be something you're not. It's not by sword or by spear or by somebody else's armor. And that's from my book, A Minute for Caregivers. I am passionate about helping people understand the language of caregivers. It's written in fluent caregiver. I hope you'll go out and learn more about it at wherever books are sold and certainly at hopeforthecaregiver.com. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. We'll see you next time.